Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by a company that is near and dear to my heart called Exoskin. Hey guys, uh, I use this gear from head to toe whenever I am out ultra running, whenever I'm out backpacking, anytime I'm going to be out moving and generating heat, generating sweat, just for all of my activities, I'm covered in exoskin literally from my shoulders down to my feet. This is an outstanding product. It's designed by a gentleman named Rick, and uh, Rick actually helped design a lot of the life-saving gear that we used in the SEAL teams. He is the master of his trade. Rick has designed this fabric to where it channels moisture and body sweat away from the skin so you don't retain moisture, you don't retain salt and have salt build up in those areas that we all chafe in. It has rapid dry copper technology. Uh, what that means in layman terms is Rick has designed this fabric to where it does not retain odor. It just doesn't stink. You can wear these things for multiple, multiple days, multiple workouts, and you don't have to throw them in the wash because they just do not retain odor-causing bacteria. If you want to learn more about Exoskin, please go to their website. It's Exoskin, that's xoskin.us. And um, if you decide to purchase some of their gear, they have provided us with a pro code that you guys can use to get a discount on all your purchases. That pro code is three of seven. That's the number three of the number seven. No spaces. Give it a shot. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Uh, all this stuff is made in America 100%. Uh, that also means a lot to me. So. Give them a try, guys. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I'll share with you a story. When I got to the start line for SEAL training, nothing was going to stop me, man. I had been through the furnace of adversity prior to even stepping on the start line. None of that mattered. I was there. There was nothing going to stop me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Um, I've got my man Jeff Reed here with us today i also got blake right here so jeff reed i served with jeff and the seal teams um and i'll just go ahead and tell you about jeff he's one of those few guys that no one ever had anything bad to say about in the seal teams and in the teams you know it's such a small group your reputation is everything and everybody knows every little mistake that you made. And, and, um, it's, you, you meet very few guys with that flawless reputation. Well, Jeff Reed's one of those guys. And, um, we're just so thankful to have him on today. Uh, another thing about Jeff that I think is, is noteworthy is, and this is powerful for me when my wife was battling with addiction and uh, and she was in rehab and I was, you know, all by myself. Jeff was the one dude that stuck by my side that entire time. And, you know, I lived outside of town, way out in Suffolk, Virginia. And I can remember Jeff driving his old Dodge truck out there 
an hour from Virginia Beach to my house just to check in and see how I was doing and how I was handling everything. And, you know, that's something that, I mean, I'll never forget the, the rest of my life because he, he was the one, man. So thank you, Jeff. I don't think I've ever formally thanked you for that since those days, brother. But just uh, I want you to know how much that meant to me then and how much it means to me now and how much it means to me to have you here uh, with us today on the show, brother. Bro, I'm just honored to be here, man. It's so awesome to see you and actually get to talk to you again since all that. And dude, you would have done the same for me. And I'm just happy to to have you as a friend, man. It's 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 awesome. That's the truth, brother. That is the truth, Jeffrey. And you know, like I told you earlier, um, you know, I can't I can't start off this episode without talk, telling some old stories. And you know, if people don't want to hear these stories, they can kind of just fast forward through and and get to the meat of it. But um, me and Jeff, where we really built our our bond and, and our our really our our brotherhood and, and friendship was out at Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. We were both instructors out at Land Warfare, and um, what our day consisted of is we would get up before sunrise, we'd drive out, climb in a deer stand, and it would be cold. I mean, cold to me, probably not cold to Jeffrey anymore. But <laughs> oh, it was cold. It was cold. <laughs> Man, it, it, some of these days it would be just bone chilling cold, and we'd sit up in our stands and we'd hunt all day long uh until about noon one o'clock we'd climb down out of the stand uh then we'd go to this mexican house what was that mexican house called jeffrey oh man what was that called it was in greenville yeah you remember we'd get that don uh, don poncho burrito or something yeah. this thing was like a like a three pound burrito We'd eat that. We'd both eat one of those burritos and sit around and just talk about our, you know, the the first half of the day, and and then we'd go get back in our stands. We'd hunt all the way till dark. We'd have our work gear in the truck with us. We'd climb down out of our stands at dark, put our body armor and our night vision on and our radios on, and then we'd go work most of the night out of running ads <laughs> with the guys. That that was those the days. Those were the days. I remember we would. We would sit there and, and after while we're eating, we would like looking back like 10 years from now, we'll look back and be like, dang it, we we're doing it right, man. We're hunting first half of the day and then we're shooting guns and training guys how to blow stuff up the second half of the day. Yep. Yep. I, I have to say, man, that was that's probably one of the one of the best uh, winners of my life. It was just amazing. And there's a couple hunts that stand out to me. Um, one that I particularly remember a deer hunt was when you shot at that monster buck dude and uh and i think you ended up hitting a tree or something but man i remember how tore dude you were tore out the frame brother no that's i to, to get to that point this is you have to explain that whole scenario so it, it was it was one of those really cold mornings again i think it was like maybe in the teens which is really cool for arkansas and it was in january it was late it was a late season hunt and what happened was a it was a bunch of does came in. It was probably like three three does came in and they were like within ten yards of me. And I'm like, I'm so cold. I'm just gonna shoot one of these does just to get me out of the stand and end my day right here because I, I was I was not over it. I'm sitting there like getting ready to, to to like pull back and I look off to my left and it was like one of those uh, outdoor channel hunting shows, like a buck, big buck 
walking, lip curled. And I could, he was so close. I could hear him grunting as he was walking. And, uh, I was like, Oh crap, this is, this is the biggest buck I've ever seen. I pull back and I'm thinking, okay, crap. I didn't range. Where's this, where's this big daddy at right now? And they're like, ah, he looks like he's maybe 20 yards. So I just first pinned it and it went way over him. And, but the deer, that buck was so into the does that he didn't even flinch. He just like literally turned to his right, looked at me, stayed broadside. And I, and I real carefully knocked another arrow and he didn't run away. He just was looking right at me. I pull back, pull up, shoot again. And it went right over the same spot. And then after that, he took <laughs> off running. So that's like part of the reason why I was so like ticked off. Like I rushed that second shot on the biggest buck. You gave me two chances, two chances, still blew it. Dude, you were tore up. You probably tore up the rest of the month after that. He dude. didn't need me to dog poncho after that. No, dude. man. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I should have went vegan after that. Just I didn't <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a memorable hunt. The other one that really, uh, I got two more. The other, the second one that really stuck out to me, man, was when me and you was out there, we were hog hunting because the deer season was over and we were, you know, we were going up that one big valley and we had just went up to the outdoor store and bought this hog call. And man, we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know what in the world. So here we are, two Navy SEALs out here with this hog call. We didn't know what we were doing. And uh, I, I said, hold on a minute, Jeffrey, let me hit this thing and see what happens. And I hit that hog call and I bet it won't. 15 seconds later, here come these two massive coyotes running down the, the opposite ridge down into this valley. And, um, yeah, you take it from there, Jeffrey. You remember that hunt? Oh, yeah, yes. Well, before that, I think the first time we did that, because weren't, weren't we laying by a creek? Yeah, okay. yeah. We were laying right by that creek there. And, uh, yeah, they came running by, and I was like, dude, there's coyotes coming. And you're like, it's like get your, I was like, get your bow ready. I think they're, I don't think they see us. And they, they crossed that creek. And as soon as they broke through that brush, they're like, oh crap, go ahead. You yeah, man. They, so they, these jokers, and these were big coyotes, man. They run right into our laps. And I'm hunting with a recurve bow. And, um, Jeffrey, I, you might, I think you had your compound probably. Yeah. And, yeah. But anyhow, they just run right into our laps. And with the recurve bow, you can get it up and get it in action a lot faster than a compound because it's just all instinctual shooting. So I, this coyote, they cross the creek. He stops broadside, and I draw back and just launch an arrow probably 20 yards and nail this coyote with a recurve bow, man, and uh, put him down. I don't think he ran far. I think I put him down right there Dude. pretty quick. Yeah, I think he ran maybe 40 yards. Yep. Yep. And then, so the last hunt was the one you just mentioned earlier, Jeff. It was the last day of the season, man. I, it was the last, maybe not the last day of the season, but it was the last day that we were going to be out there for that, yeah. for that, you yeah, know, that block of training. We that block of training. Yeah. When we got back, it was going to be the end of, of deer season. So, man, we went out and laid waste, brother. Yeah. So that, and, but we didn't realize the repercussions of what we did until that following night, once we finally got back to the compound. Cause what we ended up getting that, 
You, how many did you get? I killed three massive does. I shot, I, I shot them, shot deer until I ran out of arrows, <laughs> and I ended up killing three massive does. And then, how many did you kill, Jeffrey? I got two. So we had, we were, we butchered five. Was it five then? You, had, you said three mm-hmm. does. Yeah. So we had five, five deer to butcher, and we didn't start until what was it, like eight or nine o'clock that evening. We were butchering deer till three o'clock in the morning, had enough time to go get a shower and get our bags packed and jump on the plane. Yep. Yeah. We were flying out that next morning and we were in like this little back room that was like a, it was like for, for the instructors only, but it ain't like we had stainless tables and like good equipment. Like we were on plywood tables and here we are with five deer and yeah, we spent all night. We had to scrounge coolers all around the compound all evening just to fit all this meat in. And I, I bet we packed 300 meat, 300 pounds of meat back on that plane ride, man. <laughs> How about that forearm workout? Cause we were sitting there on that old hand grinder, just going away at it, man. I do not <laughs> recommend that. I do not <laughs> recommend a hand grinder to anyone. That What'd thing was terrible. Did y'all pack all your processing <laughs> stuff? No, we just, whatever we could there. find. And we, you know, if we needed anything, we'd go up to the local outdoor store. And of course we were cheap back then. Jeffrey's always been a tight wad. He was, he's tighter <laughs> than me, man. So I ain't any, saying much. Anytime, <laughs> anytime I went shopping with Jeffrey, you know, we'd always end up buying the cheapest thing we could find. And, uh, short, that's how we ended up with a hand grinder. <laughs> But guess what? We saved all that money. Yeah, we did. A little bit of sweat, man. (laughs) We did, brother. Man, those are some good days, my man. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love reflecting on that, brother. Um, Yeah, the only other one I remember distinctly is when I shot that. I think I had shot a – it was either you or me had shot a doe, and it was snowing out that day, and we we tracked them little pinheads of blood. I mean, just little pinhead drops for miles, dude. Never found that one. That, yep, was that, that was probably one of my lowest moments ever hunting. Cause what I did as she showed up and I pulled back and I shot and actually this. So everyone who's listening to this, if you get a bow done at Bass Pro or Cabela's, make sure you're getting it checked because what was happening was I just thought I was a terrible shot with a bow. And I, I was, I could hit within the kill zone, but it wasn't always in the, the right, like it, I wasn't grouping really well. And I just thought I was a bad shot. And then I actually, after that, you shot, well, we'll just tell you what happened. I, I ended up shooting where I thought I had to pin on the deer's, you know, the, the bread basket there, right on the heart and lung. And it was to the left and actually hit her in the guts it's behind her. Yeah. And then once she got back up, there was no blood. I mean, we, we lost her and that's, and actually, like I started shooting constantly after that, and I still couldn't narrow in my my uh, my uh, groupings, and that took me to let you shoot my bow, and you're like, dude, this thing's way off. So then I think I took it to like Gelcos or Jelcos there in in, in Chaffee area, and they're like, yeah, whoever set this bow up did not do it right. So if you get a bow at at Bass Pro or Cabela's, man, get that thing tuned in by by someone who knows what they're doing. There he goes, trying to penny pinch again, dude. <laughs> trying to get Bass Pro to set it. There he goes. You trying know what? Get- well, you know what I what I was shooting too it was a G five. I think the whole the whole bow uh, package cost like two hundred bucks. <laughs> 
<laughs> Told you, man. <laughs> Did you whittle those arrows you were shooting? <laughs> I actually found them in a dumpster and I pulled them out. <laughs> epic, dude. That is epic, my brother. Oh, man. All right. That's enough hunting stories. Um, Yeah. So, uh, again, Jeffrey, guys, this is the um, – the owner and founder of frozen trident kennels and if you if you haven't checked out frozen trident kennels and what they're all about and what jeff's all about and these missions that he goes on um you got to take a look at their website you got to follow jeff on instagram i'll attach both those uh in the show notes of this podcast um but just an amazing individual Jeff, you've come a long way since them days in Fort Chaffee, man. And, you know, I remember you, you know, just kind of mentioning loosely back then that you would, you'd always dreamed of moving up to Alaska and, uh, and just living that life out there in the wilderness, man, and just adventuring. And, you know, that's, that's what me and you love to do. And you made it happen, brother. But I don't think what people ha- realize. Uh, what people can't see is what it took to get there, brother. And I remember the years that you spent away from your wife and your family and, um, and, and all the time that you spent alone and all the effort uh, and hardship that you endured now to get to the place that you are. Um, you know, that's, that's just, uh, it's amazing that you've been able to carry out your dreams and make your dreams happen the way you have, man. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's not it, it, what you see is maybe on my side, but like you, like you nailed it, man. It's, it's also the family too. Like Jerry, Jerry was stood beside me from first deployment. And like the one thing I, I, I don't even know if like my, even my close family from back home even realizes like, once you go to combat and you experience that, you're not the same ever. Like you're that once you're you're exposed to that, part of you is gonna change. And when you get back, especially around your like real close family, they expect you to kind of act like like you were before you left, and that's not who you are anymore. And uh, so I I found myself kind of like trying to fake who like who I am today, kind of meshing it into who I was back before to try to make other people happy. And it, it just, it started, man, it was just, I wasn't in a great place. And it, especially once I got out of the military, um, I lost like this, like you, when you got, you, you kind of lose your friends kind of like they, they still got the mission going on and, and they need to keep moving forward. And you got a new mission on, of your own. You got to try to find your way. And as I was looking for it, I, I thought that it was the, the nine to five route that that's what, that's how you make a living. Right. That's, that's how everyone does it. But it just, I was miserable trying to figure that out. And like when I would try to find the job that I wanted to do, it just like, I wasn't fulfilled. Like I was like, oh, because what I was, I was originally planning on doing when I got out was uh, going to be a John Deere mechanic, actually. And it's just like, yeah, I like working on cars and vehicles and stuff, but I don't know if I could do that for somebody else, not, you know, five days a week through, you know, and 12 months out of the year. But, so I just, I remember just like, I wasn't really happy, wasn't fulfilled. And Jerry, I got to give credit where credit is due. He's like, what, what is it that you want to do? And I've like, I've, I rarely told anybody what it was because it was such a crazy 
idea to go up to Alaska and get a sled dog kennel and have all these adventures. Like I'm, you're one of the only people that I really told that to uh, my buddy PJ and a buddy Chris, but like, other than that, I kept it a secret because I like you tell people in the teams you're, you're, you're walking away from that big sign on bonus, you know, the next, the next uh, rank and uh, more leadership and all that stuff. And then they're like, you're crazy. Why are you doing it? So I kept that a secret. Very, very people knew what I was like. That was the plan. But uh, Jerry was, was more like when she's like what do you want to do and i was like well that's kind of what i want to do and she was like well, get a plan if you can find it and figure out a way and so that's that's all i needed and then the rest is history so what i did is actually i was still in arkansas and uh when i started going down this route is i emailed every sled dog kennel i could google i just googled sled dog kennels in alaska and Meanwhile, my wife was in physician, was in school in Potsdam, New York for a physician assistant. And uh, I knew she was going to have to be near like a place where she could work and like near a hospital. So be near a city. So I, I found near, a bunch of kennels near Fairbanks. And uh, I just sent out, I think I sent out like 15 emails. It's like, hey, I'm going to be getting out of the, the military at this time. And I want to move up to Alaska. I have zero experience. So get to paint the picture here. This we this was the goal without ever being around a sled dog. I've never harnessed a sled dog. When I was in Alaska, was was doing SEAL training with SQT, and that was in Kodiak, so it wasn't even in the interior. So all this was just an idea I had in my head that it's what I wanted to do. But uh, so that's I was just like I'm just going with it because if it was one of the things where it's like if I don't do this now, I don't know if I ever will. Like Jerry's finishing school. Uh, I'm just getting out of the military. We literally have two blank slates. So if I don't do this now, it's, there's never going to be an easier time than to do it now. So I started, I just started going down that route and I sent out all those emails. I got in touch with, uh, Allie Zirkel and Alan Moore from SB Kennel. And Allie is a Yukon quest champion and a three-time Iditarod champion. And Alan Moore is a three-time Yukon quest champion. And they said they're going to be needing a handler for that following winter that I was going to potentially be moving up here. Um, and so I was like, this could be like, the, this is like a golden opportunity to learn from some of the best mushers in the game. And uh, so I just, I kept that like in my pocket, kind of like kept email with him throughout the, that following winter. And then uh, Jerry graduated school and we got a puppy Eleanor, who is a wolf hybrid, and up in Potsdam, I think we got her in April, and there was still a little bit of snow up in upstate New York then in April, and that dog freaking loved the snow. She would just roll around in it, and it was kind of like the push we needed to like kind of like, okay, this dog loves the snow, doesn't like hot weather. Let's let's go someplace, and let's. so Jerry started applying to jobs up in Alaska. The day she graduated, and after she graduated in in May from PA school, she got on a plane flew to Fairbanks and did a job interview. I ended up getting a job in Fairbanks. And uh, after she secured her job, I sent another email out to Allie and Allen at SB Kennel telling them I'm really interested in getting a job with them that, that following winter. They said that, that they're in need of a, a handler. So that's kind of how everything lined up before we even moved out there. So I was, we were always kind of searching for those opportunities. When an opportunity presented itself, we freaking attacked it and took it. And, uh, so we, we actually stayed in our hometown, moved to Pennsylvania that summer, stayed in our hometown, uh, visited, hung out with family, and I and, uh, worked with her dad. They, they, she has a dairy farm, so I worked there that summer. And, um, in August, 
that year we i think it was august of 2017 we me jerry my dad and my sister and my dog drove from pennsylvania up to alaska and that's whenever our journey like really began for the frozen trident um we got a little place right outside of fairbanks uh, off of chino hot springs road it's like heading out of town and I drove that day, every day I drove about 22 miles, one, both ways. So 20, so actually like 46 or 44 miles, uh, total every day to, to work, to work for Allie and Allen and learn how to be a musher essentially. And that winter, I just, whenever an opportunity for me to take on more responsibility presented itself, I took it. Like I went the first day, all I did was scoop dog shit essentially. And maybe like scoop food into a bucket for dogs. So I went from being a Navy SEAL, like running and gunning and teaching people how to blow stuff up to literally all I'm doing is picking up poop and feeding dogs. But I know I knew that was what it was going to take for me to gain more responsibility. So I was like, I'm going to be the best poop scooper, the best dog feeder anyone's ever seen. And hopefully that they'll see that. Trust me with more. Trust me with more. Next thing you know, a few weeks later, I'm running my own dog teams out of their yard now. And this is pretty, pretty crazy. I thought, because I never was around a sled dog before. So, um, and then eventually I'm running teams by myself and then I'm training up the race teams, run, taking the race teams out for, for a run. And then, uh, Alan went on to do the Yukon quest that year. And, uh, with some, some of the dogs that I helped train and, and well, we'll back it up real quick. Uh, I did my first 200. They let me do a 200 mile race before that um with some of their younger dogs and i that was a huge eye-opening experience i just i just scratched from that race at the last checkpoint leaving the last checkpoint and what what, what happened there jeff so what what i learned was from that so what happened is uh i had a bunch of younger dogs and i just didn't know how to push them like they like there's a there's a fine line between working dogs by working too hard and and running them to the point where they like they no longer think the harness is a fun thing and there's a line with them being too being too soft on them and i was being way too soft that's what it came down to i didn't know how to run the dogs right and but i look it's better to be too soft than to be too hard especially if they're not your own dogs you know so i i what happened was i went into the last checkpoint um some of the younger dogs were being really like slow they were we were just really slow and they they so the younger dogs i just dropped without knowing that they could have kept going so i had a, I had a smaller team to begin with and then when i left that last checkpoint we ran about 10 miles and it was a 70 mile run and it was up in the mountains and stuff and we just started going up in the hills and i noticed one of the dogs was limping and i went up and the dog had a swollen wrist and it wasn't even that bad uh but i didn't know anything at the time so i was like Oh crap! I got to turn around and run back, and that so that's what I did. I just ran back and 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 uh, had to withdraw from the race. But that was a huge learning point because I I there's no amount of ego or yourself pushing that there's no amount of effort that you can do to make the dogs better because it's all within the dogs. What you can control is what I learned is your your positive mental attitude. Uh, even if it's fake, which we got really good at, and you know, Buds and the SEAL teams having that take uh, positive mental attitude at times, and uh, just having good vibes and just being po- being a positive person, uh, that's going to feed off off the team. And uh, not that I was negative out there, but 
I just didn't know, you know, I just, I knew nothing about dog mushing. Uh, but then so that, that following, I, I mean, I could run 50 mile runs or 70 mile runs, but like in a race and it's completely different, but that, uh, I think it was in a few weeks after that, Alan Moore started the Yukon quest, which is a thousand mile dog race starting in fair. It started in Fairbanks and ended in Whitehorse that year. And then the next year it swaps. It starts in Whitehorse and ends in Fairbanks. But that, that race, that 1000 mile race, I got to go to nearly all the checkpoints and help Alan along that and that is when i learned how to be a dog musher seeing the line of what the dogs can do and what a musher can do opened my eyes immensely and a month after that Allie and Allen let me go do another 200 mile race because i think they were worried that it left the, that one might have left a negative mark on me and i ended up finishing six so i learned so much in that period of time uh from watching Allen. so I have ADD and I just skipped a big part of that story. So Alan ended up going on and winning the Yukon Quest that year by a lot. And being a part of that team and seeing how to manage the dogs, how you can push the dogs, the different dog care tricks and techniques you can use and, and just seeing how to be a good dog person. I mean, it, it was, that was invaluable. Like I learned so much from just watching him during that race that I was able to take a lot of his strategy and techniques and incorporating them into my 200 mile race that I just failed at um, two months ago and end up placing within the money and, and finishing sixth in another 200 mile race. What do those races consist of? Like how many dogs are you running? Do you change them out? What's required of you? Yeah. So the, it's all in the, the type of racing because there's sprint racing, there's mid distance racing, and then there's long distance racing. Sprint racing is like, I would say anything. 50 miles and in and mid distance, I would say is like a hundred miles and 500 miles and anything over 500 miles would be like a long distance race. What I was doing was, is the, the mid distance races and the way they're broken up is there's checkpoints along the way and a dog can't run from the first start line all the way without stopping. Like it's, he's got, they got to stop and rest. And with the mid distance racing, you're running with teams of, of 12 uh the the long distance races like the Iditarod and Yukon Quest you're running with dog teams of 14 and uh so when you leave the checkpoint or when you leave the start shoot you you just start the first leg maybe 50 miles and maybe 70 miles but you get into the checkpoint and then you got to have your strategy like okay what do I do what I do is I first thing I do is I lay down a straw for all the dogs because the dogs are trained to see straw and they think bedtime when they see the straw laid out, the first thing to do is like, okay, I'm getting cozy and dozy. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting my bed situated. And as they're getting comfortable, then I'm going around and taking dog booties off the dogs. And each dog has a booty on each paw because it's not to keep their feet warm. It's to keep the snow and ice build up from inside their pads. And if they get ice and snow build up, they're going to crack pads and get splits in their, in their paws. So it should protect their paws. I take off all their booties. And then what I do is I have a dog food cooker that runs off of methanol. Uh, also like heat is what it's called. And I dump heat or methanol in there. I'll light it. And then I have an insert that goes on top inside of that. And I just start shoveling snow in there and then I melt snow into water. And then I bring that, that water to a boil. Once I get a rolling boil with the water, I have a cooler where I have kibble and some like beef or chicken skins or salmon. And I dump the, the hot water in that and I make like a stew or, or a, a slurry for the dogs to eat. I let I then close the the lid 
And then I go back down the line. I start looking at the dogs and I'll go through maybe massage some of them, start putting ointment on, on feet. Uh, if a dog is showing signs of um, maybe has like an upset stomach or isn't eating or back up. So I, after that, that's uh, done cooking, what I'll do is I'll, I'll let the dogs, I'll make sure the dogs are sleep or bedded down for like an hour and a half before I feed. Cause like, yeah, a lot of times if I work out hard, I'm not going to want to eat right away after that. Like I want a little bit of time to recover. And once I get a little bit of recovery, then I'm, I'm hungry. I think it's the same way with the dogs. So once they get a little bit of rest time, I'll go back out and feed them. And uh, if a dog is showing signs like not eating, sometimes it could just be like, Oh, they're just, they just want a little company. And I know like there's one dog I have buttercup who's kind of a picky eater. Sometimes I have to like feed her from my hand during a race. Cause she's, she's just a weirdo. Uh, but that's just because my dogs can be that way and I let them, I guess. But, uh, so I'll, I'll, I know each of my dog's personalities and if one's not acting right, I'll try to dive into like what's going on with them. And if it's something that's going to, to, they, they shouldn't run anymore, then you can drop them. So you can get rid of dogs off your team, but you can't bring any more dogs onto your team. So if you start with 12, you can finish with 12 or less. You can't, you can't come back with like 13 or, or you can't, and each dog that you start with, um, that, that isn't dropped. Like if you would lose a dog, you get disqualified. So like if a dog would get away and run away, you have to finish with the dogs you left or the dogs get dropped kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it, a lot of times if you might be at a checkpoint for three hours or, or, or whatever, you may only be at, get you yourself may only have like an hour or to yourself to get any food or water or sleep because you're, constantly worrying about the dogs and taking care of the dogs and you may have a handler the handler can't do anything for the dogs they can't help feed they can't help booty they can't help uh put do anything for the dogs. but what they can do is is while you're away they can make sure the dogs don't end up breeding another dog or they can make sure if a dog fight would break out that they break it up and and so you can step away from your team and know that they're going to be looked after but you you can't have someone else like booting your dogs and stuff now, once the dogs are fed and you're getting ready to leave, you have to booty them and clip them back up to the lines. And if you have 12 dogs and you're putting on four uh, booties every paw, I mean, you know, that's, that's what, I mean, that takes some time. So I usually give myself an hour before the time I want to leave and the time I start uh, getting ready, like getting the dogs ready. And sometimes like if the dogs may be a little bit tired or stiff, you kind of just walk them around, give them a little bit of a walk or let them kind of give them a massage and loosen them up and get them like a, just an athlete. Like Chad and, and Blake, you, you run uh, ultras too, don't you? Or, or Yeah. It's just probably the same thing for you guys. Before you get ready to go again, you're kind of just walking around, stretching. And it's the same thing with the dogs before they, you get them go, you get them a good massage and get them loose and ready to go. And, and it's the same thing. And you go to your next checkpoint and you kind of have a plan to where you're, you, Kind of, all right, this one I'm going to stay at six hours. And so the, 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 I did a 300 mile race last year and I believe I did that in like 36 hours. I ran 300 miles in 36 hours. Wow. Holy smokes, dude. And I was, I yeah, I was, I was in the middle of the pack. So oh, it wasn't man. like I wasn't up front or anything. The, the top of the pack really, really, and they, yeah, I did a rod. Those people were finishing within, I guess, like eight, nine days. They're running a thousand miles in eight or nine days. Gosh, that's unbelievable, man. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, there's, dude, there's <laughs> so much to unpack in what you, the stories that you just told us, brother. And I, I hope people are reading between the lines and seeing where they can apply 
everything that you just talked about to their own lives. This is, to me, this is so much deeper than just uh, dog mushing. This is all stuff that is applicable to us as human beings, man. Um, And just to start with, the way you made your dream happen, talk about entrepreneurship, man. Um, The way that you were able to, to humble yourself and start back from the bottom, man, and the way that you were able to break things down and really just conquer and crush what was right in front of you, not looking too far down the road, um, not reaching too far ahead, but crushing the task that was on the table, knowing that that would eventually lead to the place that you wanted to to get to within your dream, within your business, man. Um, and this is all just notes that I've took, dude, because this is so much to unpack. Um, you, you know, and then two, you know, you when you were talking about when you and when you and Jerry were getting ready to move out to Alaska and you were, you were reaching out to all these kennels out in Alaska, man, you didn't wait for anybody to tell you what to do. You took the effort into your own hands and you, you went seeking the people that you needed to help you reach the place that you wanted to get. You didn't stand around and wait for somebody to tell you what to do or to hand something to you. You took initiative, man. And that's just that's that's the spirit of entrepreneurship right there, dude. Um, the, that's a, that's the you got to realize that no one's got your dreams aren't going to come to you looking for f- fulfillment. Right. Like if you want to accomplish something, you got to be the one to take the first step. Right. The, the, the old adage, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Right. So you got it. Like, and it's and Jerry, Jerry got the ball rolling for me by saying, come up with a plan come up with a plan. If you want to do it, come up with a plan. And, and it's, it's not with my, what I wanted to do was so unique, I guess it's like coming up with a plan was, it it took, it it was going to take a lifestyle adjustment. But um, if if you plan for it, you can kind of see like, okay, for me to do this, like I know I am better than just scooping poop and feeding dogs. But putting myself in the shoes of somebody else. Like if I'm going to, if I have someone working for me and they come in with a chip on their shoulder, like I'm not going to let that person do it. Like, I'm just going to want to like shoot that person aside and make him scoop poop the rest of his life. Like you need to be humble a little bit. Cause you, you're in a field that you don't know anything about. And I realized that. And that's part of like, when I came up with my plan, I was like, <laughs> be the person that, that I would want me to work, like work for myself. Like ha- be the employee that you would want. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how I was. I was always trying to go above and beyond what I was already. And I was trying to think ahead. Like, okay, like we're scooping poop now, but we're going to get ready for a run. So I want to organize the booties and then get ready for the run. So that way, when they ask, all right, let's go celebrate, oh, they're already done kind of thing. That's and, good, brother. And so it's 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 all in like plan for your own inv- investment, like advancement. And yeah, so like if, if like you're planning to like eventually have or be trusted to go, if you, for me, I wanted to go out on my own. That was like my number one thing. And in order for me to do that, the plan was to gain trust. So I had to gain trust within the people that own the dogs. And so that's how I kind of started. And it's like, well, the best way to gain trust is just be a great employee and, and be there for and be reliable. So that's that's how that started. And then it's it's like, and again, it's it's finding opportunities. 
and taking them when they're there and not not hesitate. That's it, man. And, you know, I think that that is the way that that life is designed, Jeff. And you can ask any anyone out there that's really reached the top of the game, reached their pinnacle. They had to start off at the bottom, man. And and that's the way the SEAL training is designed. Um, that's the way life after the SEAL teams is designed. I did a similar thing, man, when I retired from when I was medically retired from the teams. Um, I went and cut grass for a living. Um, and, and it was just a way for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And and not that there's anything wrong with with people that that cut grass for a living. There's a lot of money to be made there in that industry. But um, it, it was a way for me just to get my hands back in the dirt, man, and to humble myself and 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 then build off of that. Um, so it's just I, I just really feel like that's part of the design, and that you you know if you're an entrepreneur. And you you have a, a business idea, you have something that you want to go after. Uh, don't be afraid to start at the bottom, um, pulling weeds or scooping dog crap, because that's what's going to get you to the place that you want to be. And, and without that, without that first step, without that humility, without being there in the trenches, um, you're never going to reach the top. So it's just by design. Another thing I want to talk about, Jeff. Um, Man, you talk about um, that that spirit of positivity, dude. And and even if it's even if it's false positivity, it's nonetheless you're speaking it out loud and and making it your new reality by by having the courage to to generate that positivity, even though times may be hard. And you talk about how it spreads to your pack and how it impacts um, your your team there. And what a what a parallel in life, man! What a way to for you to be able to go out and spend time with your sled, your dog team, and have to portray that positivity, and then you see the way it impacts them. Well, that sets you up for real life because real life's the same way. That positivity is is contagious in the same manner to your team at work or within your business. Um, Gosh, these are just all. Well, and I would, I would bet. Can you even tell a difference in in your dogs if you're if you were positive? I mean, can they do they feed off of? Oh, absolutely. They if okay. I guess I'm, I learned this lesson actually in the SEAL teams during uh, a heat training block. The the when we were in uh, Mount Grant, we were summoning Mount Grant, and we were trying to do it within. I think we were doing a two day. But what happened is weather ruled in and we were like well crap we can't if we either have to go down or we're just going to go up and down in, in one one shot which would have been within 24 hours and would have been a very difficult climb uh but being team guys we're like you know what screw it we're just going to the top we're and then coming back down so we pushed to the top and what we didn't realize is once we broke up into the alpines and got above the tree line everyone was smoked and we thought we were getting up to the, the summit but once we crested that first peak we realized it was a false peak and there was another one and then we kept going and going we got up into this next one it was another false peak there was another one even higher than that one and we get up into that one and there was another one even higher and not everybody's attitude went from like no we're gonna go crush this mountain to dude this freaking sucks so i sensed everyone's like like down in the dumps attitude and i started singing miley cyrus's to climb 
You know, it's always going to be an uphill battle. And, and and next thing you know, we had a whole platoon of SEALs singing. It's the climb. Miley Cyrus says we're going up and everyone's spirit changed. And it's like, wow, like just doing something stupid or goofy or weird like that changed the whole vibe of everybody up there. And that's whenever I realized like positive attitudes can spread, but so can negative attitudes. Like, right. They're, they're also, they can be a cancer and, and can really crush things. So I'm very careful with the vibes I'm throwing out there, my demeanor, my mannerisms, my body language, when I'm with the dogs out on the trail, like I could be frustrated. Dogs could like some days dogs just don't listen. Well, some days they do. And you could have a dog causing all sorts of tangles on the line. But if you come down on him for like, just because you're frustrated and you don't have patience, that dog's going to be a little bit weary of you. Like what the heck? Like he's going to lose a little respect or she's going to lose a little respect. So I, I always try to pull myself back and I'm not great at it. I make mistakes daily, but trying to pull yourself back, let your emotions pass, take a breath and realize like, what is, what does the pack need right now? They need some happiness. They need some, some, some positive attitude. And sometimes that can make a dog that doesn't want to behave actually behave. Um, and I learned that whenever last summer, actually, or spring I had, I brought it, I had a bunch of dogs that wanted to fight. And I'm sure if you talk to some professional dog, like trainers around tight, they shouldn't have done this. But I threw a couple dogs in a pen that didn't want to get along. I was very, very, uh, Stung with them at first. I made sure they weren't like then when they show the the body language of I'm showing aggression right now. I just all I had to do is yell at them like, "Hey, cut that out!" And he would stop. But it, it, what it was is I went in there with a different attitude from like a nervous, anxious like before like when these dogs would get around each other, I would be so anxious that a fight was happening. So before I put them in there, I was like, "I'm just going to be calm, change my. I'm going to try to sit, like center myself, ground myself, and and see if that. And you know what? They were, they, and I have a video I posted on, on Instagram. Jerry pulled into the house a little bit early from work and all the dogs rushed to the gate. We're jumping on the gate. There was no fight. I thought for sure there was going to be a big dog fight, but no, they were, they got along great. I, that was another eye-opening experience where it's like they read, I think they read off of your energy. And, and if you stay positive, it's not a foolproof plan. Like obviously like things can, things can happen and go badly, but there's so, it's how you react and, and, and well, like, yeah, things can happen, but it's all in how you react can, can really play a bigger part in what's coming next, you know? Dude, yeah. So if you are a business owner, if you are in the corporate world, please take these lessons and apply them to your team because this is the truth um, in every way, shape and form. And it's so amazing that you get to practice that every day out there with your team uh, of, of dogs out on your missions, Jeff. I mean, uh, and I know that now you have opened up opportunities for people, for, for business leaders, for people in general that want to hone in on their uh, ability to lead, on their, uh, on their teamwork skills. Um, on their ability to portray a positive attitude and impact their team in a positive way. Man, you've opened this up to the public. And I just think that there's so much value there. Um, and I just hope everyone realizes that, you know, if you go out and take one of these trips with Jeff, uh, it's going to just make a difference in your life in general. It's for me, it's so much beyond 
uh, just going out there and, and, and having the experience of being in Alaska. It's, these are life skills that are transferable, man. And I want to talk about that school that you started in depth here in a minute, Jeff. But one thing I want to hit on real quick, brother, is, um, is leadership, man. You talk, you know, you, it, you hear a lot nowadays about leadership. It's, a, it's just a hot topic. There's so many books out there on it. Um, first, I believe that to become a good leader, uh, I feel like you have to learn to be a leader out in the field, doing something like what you're doing, Jeff, um, it, you know, that's transferable back to your work life or, or your business life. Um, I heard you say something about leadership, brother, and, and being a leader that really impacted me, brother, because it's transferable into my faith. And you said you've got to with your with your dogs you've got to be a leader and you've got to reach a point where the dogs respect you as a leader but don't fear you and the reason that impacted me so greatly is because that's how my relationship with God is and a lot of people don't understand that um the bible talks a lot about the fear of the lord and it's it's what it is it's a healthy fear it's it's a it's more of a reverence or respect. And can can you talk to us about uh, not only how to develop that, but but kind of what that means to you? That difference between fear and respect, um, especially from a leadership standpoint, brother. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, the big, like, I guess for me, like I guess I can tr- take it back to whenever I was in the the bottom, sort of at the bottom when I was working with Allie and Allen. If I if I was working out of fear for them, I wouldn't want to go above and beyond. I'm only doing the bare minimums, right? But because I respected them, respected their dogs, respected their goals and missions, I wanted to do more for them because I like them. And that's the same way like it is, I believe, with any company organization. If, you're, if, you're, if your employees are working for you or your dogs are working for you out of fear or, or they just are going out of because they need money or, or – they're not gonna. They're not gonna perform to the level that they do it out of respect and love. You know what I mean? If you if you really love your employees, if you really respect your employees or your employer or whoever you're working for or God or your family, like you're gonna want to go above and beyond for them. Or if you're if you're afraid of them, you're doing out of something like a not something that's within you. You're doing out of out of fear of repercussion, you're not going to do it as genuine, as genuinely from love as you would if you came from anywhere else. That, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it, Jeffrey. It really is, man. So, uh, you know, I, and I can see this and I know I keep drawing these parallels, man, but I just think it's so important to, you know, uh, seeing this, what you're doing, brother, really uh, impacting and nurturing your relationship with God, not only understanding that fear and respect aspect but also the time that you spend out in nature man how's how's all this uh you know living up there and doing what you do and going out on these adventures how how has this affected your spiritual relationship with god and uh you know any stories behind that man oh man being out in nature i feel like is is for me equally as important as praying or spending time with God because I feel like if you're if you lose track of that if you don't spend time looking up at the stars and seeing things like 
like with me, I go out and, and I, I'm very fortunate to where I can go out and run dogs at night and, and see the stars and see the Aurora Borealis and, and see all these beautiful things that like, when you see them, you're, you think this crap just couldn't, couldn't happen by accident. Right. It's there's, there's, there's gotta be a bigger power. Like it's just too, too many crazy things can, can to, for it all just to happen and happenstance. And another thing it does is it humbles you to the point to where like, no matter how big, how bad you think you are, nature can kill you, right? It, it'll put you in your place quicker than anything else. Because if, it, if you get caught in the extreme of the extremes, there's nothing you are physically human capable of doing of actually, if nature wanted to, it would crush you. Nature can crush you. Whether you're in the water, whether you're up in the Arctic, whether you're in the desert, if nature really wanted to, you're you're at the mercy of God then because if you're really out there and that's why like I'm constantly changing as a musher my goals and stuff because I'm when I first came up here I thought that the Iditarod was like the end all for for mushing but now that I'm up here it's like oh I just want to go to the most remote far off places and that's so I, I don't really know which way I'm going to go but like it, it's it's just man spending time in nature so especially when you get in a real like remote wilderness where you can run out a hundred miles and you stop and you listen, you don't hear a plane, you don't hear a car going by. You I mean, it's literally all you hear is silence to the point where it's deafening. And it, it's amazing. It's, it's experience that. And then you're with a team of, of a bunch of energetic dogs that are happy to go and love you and you love them. It's a beautiful experience. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about that kind of where you're at with your goals, Jeff. And I see that in myself a lot, too, man, with ultra running, Um, ultra running for me. Yeah. When I first started out, I was so focused on just racing and winning. And um, I realized that uh, I wasn't getting near as much out of the races that I won uh, as I was getting out of the races that I finished maybe middle of the pack and enjoyed my time in nature enjoyed the adventure, um, enjoyed the team of people that was out there to support me, and also enjoyed the other people that that were running the race. And so I've kind of drawn the same conclusion when it comes to ultra running. You know, I, I look at a 100-mile race now, and, you know, I don't necessarily I, – I may go out maybe two or three races a year. I go out to win those races, and that's just to – I don't know, maybe to stoke that competitive spirit within me. But other than that, dude, I'm all about the adventure, um, getting out in those remote places and just experiencing nature, man. That's 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 the same same way I am with ultra running, dude. So that's an awesome spirit, man. That's that's exactly yeah. where I, that's where my passion is too. <clears throat> yep, yep, no doubt, Jeffrey. Um, so there's so many things that can be learned. You know, another one that that I kept thinking of as you were speak, talking through the details of these races, man, is attention to detail. Uh, I, I can't imagine any place on earth or any activity that would teach you um, attention to detail like what you're doing is because you're in an environment that if you make a mistake, if you overlook a minor detail, not only could a member of your pack die, but you could die because of the harshness of the elements. Um, so, you know, I just think that's another a big one that that people could really come out and spend time with you and uh, and practice that skill and learn from you, man, what attention to detail really is. 
Um, not not just saying the words. What is it really? Let's let's see. And Jeffrey's a man to teach you about it. And I want to talk to you about the school, man, about um, what you guys are offering now. And uh, just give us a quick rundown, brother. A lot of our listeners are out there to build their life resumes. They're they're entrepreneurs. Um, they're they're fitness uh, ultra runners or, or fitness gurus. So this kind of stuff that you're throwing out, Jeffrey, is just I think one of the most valuable resources uh, that's on the market today. So give us a rundown about it, brother. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate that. But yeah, so what what we're offering here is for this, this one, and it's it's going to grow into something bigger next year for sure. We're already planning on on down the road, but we have a cabin right beside our house that has its own dog yard. So if you if you want to come out and learn all all about dog mushing, how to be the leader of, of a pack of dogs and how to incorporate that into your daily life and it, it will you'll see how that can trickle in. And two, what what the dogs do to you and what it does for me is whenever you're hooking up, the dogs are so happy to go. They're so energetic. They they love to run. And that is you could be feeling a little bit down. You'd be like, oh, I don't really feel like going for a run today. But once you get out there and you see the how happy and excited and energetic the dogs is, that energy is going to transfer over to you. And then you're going to be happy and ready to go and amped up to go. But so you're going to have, if you want to do this, but you have your own private, you have your own cabin. It's a dry cabin. So uh, it doesn't have running water. It has an outhouse. And you'll learn how to run a wood stove. You'll, you'll learn how to survive in a, in a pretty much a, a rustic cabin. In Alaska, in the wintertime, having your pack of dogs right next to you with your own private dog yard, your own sled, and we're going to go run some dogs. We're going to learn some some wintertime survival skills. We'll learn fire build. We'll, we'll do whatever it is that you want to learn while you're up here. We can make it happen. But the biggest thing that you're going to take away from it is just, one, the beauty of Alaska, the um, the ability to drive a dog team, and how to take the, that that skill and develop, put that into your daily life. How to how to take harness that energy, and maybe if you don't have that positive energy right now, you'll learn how to to fake it. Especially if you have a business, and how to make that transition into happy employees, and maybe after that. So that's 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 some things that you'll be able to take away. Yeah, yeah. You know, something else I like that you said earlier is when you come into the checkpoints, the first thing you do is start taking care of dogs of your team. So. I think that's something that could be taken away too, because if you put your focus on others, I'm sure you're wore out too, probably not as much as the dogs, but it'd be easy for you to go lay down in your tent or cabin, whatever they have prepared for you there and say, I'm going to take care of the dogs after I get rest and get a meal. But the first thing you said you do is spread straw for them. You prepare their bed, they lay down, you start taking care of them. And after all that's done, then you go take care of yourself. So I think that's a valuable lesson to be Team gear before personal gear, right? Absolutely, man. And that's and that's one thing. I, I can't claim that these are strategies that I came up with because I was fortunate enough within my SEAL career to have great leaders and mentors that I took what they taught me and I'm transforming it into my kennel now. And then that's kind of how I'm structuring how I do my training and how I how I run my pack is very similar to that, you know, like and it's like you run into a situation, it's the same thing, you know. Uh, you run into a situation where you're hurt, maybe some dogs, you've got self, self aid, but you know, buddy, a Corbinade, you know, you got to do that. It's the same kind of, same kind of training, same kind of mentality, but it's very similar It all. It all 
kind of goes together. It's really, it's really cool. It is, man. And that's what the dog, that's what, what you're doing, Jeff, with, with that activity, man, is you're providing a platform. It is the way I look at it. You're providing a platform for, for people to better themselves on a just multiple, multiple levels, man. Um, that's what's so cool about this activity of dog mushing to me. Um, and so this, this school, Jeff, I mean, how, how exclusive is this, man? Because I know you got limited time. I mean, you, you got limited time that you guys are out there and able to go out on these missions and, and, you know, the snow eventually melts. So, um, how, how exclusive is this, man? Do you guys have a cap on, on how many you're going to run each, each winter or where are you at with that? We're, yeah, we're just starting out. We don't really know how many we're going to be able to offer. And, and with Jerry working a full-time job, and we also have a son now, it, it's it, scheduling is all going to have to be done through email to make sure I can get a, a babysitter if I need to or, or uh, make sure it's, it's working off with Jerry's schedule. So scheduling could be a little bit tricky, but if you email, we're, we can make it any, we can make things work. We'll make it work. Uh, all the bookings done for this will be done through email and you can send me an email at info at frozen, uh, And you can find that information in my, uh, in, in my Instagram or on my website. And is this one-on-one one One person comes up and, and y'all work? Yeah. For this year, it's going to be one-on-one next year. What we're going to do is we're going to have a cabinet and sleep about six people. So we'll be able to up it to, to about six or eight people at a time. Okay. That's amazing, brother. I love it. Um, I got to ask you, man, I haven't got to talk to you since Atlas was born. And for the listeners, Atlas is uh, Jeff's uh, son. How's Atlas doing, man? And it's, I, I know it's, it's really soon to talk about it, man, but is there any lessons that were learned in, uh, in kind of that battle that, that he had to fight through to get to the point he is now? I'm so glad you asked this question. And absolutely, man, there's so many silver linings to take away from this. And it's, uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, my son was, uh, born on July 30th and happy, healthy baby. And then all of a sudden one day I came in and he was, uh, not, he was, he was sick. He had a fever for no apparent reason. Uh, we rushed him, took him to the ER, ended up getting diagnosed with meningitis, uh, got life flighted to from Fairbanks to or medevac to from Fairbanks to Anchorage while he was medevac he started he had a stroke and started having seizures and while he was in Anchorage for a while in the uh pediatric ICU and while he was there um so while he got medevac I had to I had to come back here because I hadn't I had to take care of the dogs Jerry was in Anchorage I was in here um my luckily I have an amazing family and my dad was able to fly out from Pennsylvania to take care of the dogs. So I was able to fly to Anchorage. And when I got into Anchorage, he started his seizures uh, were happening more frequently. And they were also like, he, now he was, he wasn't breathing when he, he was going apneic whenever he was uh, seizing up. It seemed like, like he was maxed out on antibiotics. He was maxed out on Tylenol for his fever, but it seemed like nothing was happening. Like he was, he was only getting worse and worse and worse as time went on. And I, I, that was like the, the, the lowest point to where like, I, I felt like no matter what I would pray, no matter, like I knew there was a bunch of people praying for my family and stuff, 
back home, but it's, I felt like nothing, I, I didn't feel like anything was being heard and I didn't feel like anything was happening. And I, I was honestly about ready to, to give up on prayers and everything. And then I actually had the most conversation, the most real conversation I ever had with, with God when I prayed, I, I told him, like, I think this is a bunch of BS that like, I'm here I am. Like I'm, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying like, I don't have a whole lot of faith. I remember telling like, I don't have a whole lot of faith, but I remember by seeing that if you only had a faith of a mustard seed, something, you're going to do something and you can move a mountain with that. And I was like, well, I got a mustard seed left. That's about it. Like, like, and I know that's probably not the right way to pray, but that was me being real. And shortly after that, my sister put together a beautiful prayer service in my hometown. And I've, I've seen like everybody that knew me came to that. And then uh, my buddy Sean had a video on uh, YouTube that, and there was a bunch of people started sending me videos. I had a, a un, un, I, un, I could never respond to them all. People telling me that they don't pray, but they're praying now, and and that like that they're not, uh, they've never had faith before, but through this, it, it was amazing to see. I had I had people from Turkey sending me prayer messages in Arabic and. And it was just such a beautiful thing to see that there are so many good people left in this world that like you when you turn on the news and you watch the, what's going on in the world, you, you tend to like think that like, there's just hate and chaos going around everywhere. But really, I don't think that's the case. I think there's a lot more genuinely nice people filled with love that are that, are, that you don't that's not being highlighted. And I think that's wrong. And it was so beautiful to see that that. All, but once that happened, it was like a light came on in a room. Atlas's seizure stopped. His fever broke. He he went from being fed via uh, um, a hose to now he was sucking on a pacifier and breastfeeding. And and they were they were so close to intubating him that they were like, yeah, he's and and actually before this even happened, a doctor told Jerry that for as, as since he's deteriorating with our our. Uh, he's not getting better despite all the antibiotics and Tylenol and medication that to expect the worst, he's going to have to overcome the worst if he wants to survive. And that's like, we, we were at the point to where we thought we were going to leave that, leave Anchorage without our, our son. Like we were, we were mentally preparing ourselves for that, that possibility. And like the worst part was like, th- like it's, there's no amount of effort or anything that you can do to stop any of it. So like, sitting there and you just watch your son have a seizure and stop breathing and like, there's nothing you can do, man, it breaks your heart. It's, it's one of the, and, but like once all, once everything happened, it was, it was my faith may have only had a a mustard seed before all this happened, but now it's like, holy crap. Like there's, there's no other explanation. I just, it's to, to, to be in that situation. I think the only way that you would be able to really understand it, like the doctors even said that there's, Something there's a power in that room that you just feel it when you walk in, and like hearing a doctor say that is kind of crazy. It it, it makes it, it it man it it really it it brought me back to to you know made me closer to God. It, there's it, it took away any doubt that I had, and it, it's it was yeah I I can't really explain it. Man. I, I don't really have the words for it. <laughs> I'm speechless, brother. <laughs> we can still we can sit here and and talk about the power of prayer, and uh, and we've all got stories, Jeffrey. But I'm gonna tell you right now, brother. I don't think I got a story to top that one, my man. Um, it's real. There, there's no 
there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's real. It's undisputable. And, you know, thank you so much, brother, for having the courage to share that yeah. with us and with the world. Um, because I think that's a testimony that can really change people's lives, man. And, uh, it, you know, it's, what, what do you, what do you think, Blake? It, it's hard to say a whole lot to it. I mean, that, you know, like you said, you can't explain it till you, you know, I've had experiences on a much smaller level where I've saw power, you know, the power of prayer, but never, I've never been in that position that you were in, Jeff. But I mean, that's just amazing to, to be able to see it firsthand. I know it, it sucks going through it, but the, the outcome you got of it probably outweighs what you went through, you know, wh where you and your wife are now and how you feel about your, your son. And I couldn't imagine. Yeah. yeah and, and, and since he had it, the stroke was on the back right part of his brain. And when they first got the, when he first got the scan of it, um, it was a pretty large size stroke. It was a pretty significant size. So like, even though he was stable now, the doctors were saying that he, there's a chance that he could have severe disabilities or he could not have any disabilities. And right now where he's at, he's, we, we have a occupational therapist come out monthly to, to work with him and, and he's doing everything a four month baby should be doing. And it's, it's we're so thankful. That's a, I, I, there's, I, I'm so thankful for, for Instagram, for all of our, our, our friends and followers and family that for sending out their prayers and good vibes. And I um, mean, I can't, I can't thank people enough for showing the love and that's that's kind of like there, there's so much it's it's there's so much love out there man it's 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 kind of crazy that sometimes it doesn't feel like it but there's so many good people out there there is brother yeah you step away you step away from what the media is telling you and uh you experience something like what you experience you realize that there is still so many good human beings in this world uh coming from all walks of life man and you know you came through the fire jeff and, and that wasn't God. That wasn't a, a fire that, that God built for you. That was just a fire of life, man. You came through that fire, brother. And now you you come out purified, man, like, like pure gold, brother. And I'm just so happy for you. I'm so happy for Atlas. I'm so thankful for your testimony. I'm so thankful to God for healing your son. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to thank him tonight when I pray for, for working that. Uh, working that miracle, brother, and uh, it's <laughs> speechless, man. Thank you so much that's, for sharing that with us, Jeffrey. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, man, you you've made this episode so easy, dude. Uh, I'm not even going to edit this because there wasn't a single word said that doesn't need to be heard, in my opinion. Um, we're going to do a part two. Yeah, yeah. So this is easy day, brother. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> any uh. Let's see. I want you to real quick, just so people don't have to look at the show notes. Um, how can they find you on Instagram? And also, how can uh, what is your website, man? My Instagram handle is Frozen Trident, and uh, my website is FrozenTacTrident.com. And uh, those are the best ways to to get a hold of me. And my my email is on the website there. And if not, it's info at FrozenTacTrident.com. Roger that. Yeah. And I checked out that site, dude. You guys did an awesome job on the site. It flows really well. I mean, it's very, very professionally done. So good on you on that. I mean, it's just like every other aspect of you, Jeff. It's a reflection of every other aspect of you, your attention to detail, um, your flawless reputation. 
Um, and if any of you guys are thinking about going out and, and spending time with Jeffrey, if you're on the fence, uh, I'll go ahead and give him a little third-party credibility right here. I can tell you right now he is one of the most outstanding individuals um, that the SEAL teams, in my opinion, uh, has ever produced. And you can ask me or any other SEAL, and like I said, they're going to tell you the exact same thing. Um, and, and this goes beyond the SEAL teams. I mean, I think any individual that has ever spent any time with Jeff is going to tell you the exact same thing. So uh, he's the real deal. And um, give him a shout out. And uh, we're going to push this episode out to as many people as we possibly can, brother, because I'm going to tell you right now, I think it's going to make an awesome impact. And we can't thank you enough for your time, Jeffrey. Brother, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you letting me come out here. I love you guys. All right, guys. This is the 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said.